When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Patriots Nation, and welcome to another edition of CLNS Radio's Patriots Beat. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me, as always, is Bobby Kravitsky, at Bobby underscore K91. He can also be found on Bleach Report, writing about the NFL and the NBA. You can, of course, follow the podcast on Twitter, at Patriots Beat, or on the good old-fashioned Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Patriots Beat, of course, follow the CLNS Radio site at, at CLNS Radio, and of course on Twitter at w, uh, on Facebook at www.facebook.com/clnsfans. Today's podcast is brought to you by the good people over at uh, Peak Brewing, as well as our friends at Lynda.com. Go out and challenge yourself today. That is L-Y-N-D-A.com, and for your free 10-day trial, go to www.lynda.com/clns. And we can't forget our good friends at DraftKings.com. We'll be talking a little bit tonight with Pete Shepard of the Arcan and Shepard Show from noon to 3 on ESPN New Hampshire. That is 1,200 and 950 on your radio dial if you're from the Granite State. Live free or die like myself. Bobby, how you doing tonight? we got a lot to talk about. I'll say there is a lot to cover. There's a lot to digest with Deflategate. And I can't wait to discuss that topic with Pete Shepard, we know he's got insight, and we know it's going to be entertaining as well. So I'm looking forward to having him join us on the program tonight. Oh, tell me about it. I am looking forward to having him join us. And I'm looking forward to Roger Goodell getting suspended for the first four games of the league. because Can we just ban can... him right now? Oh, man, he is a bumbling boob. Is he not? I mean, is there anything in this world that you can look and sit there? And I'm not trying to be a salty Patriot fan, okay? You know, I've seen the haters out there from other teams going to all the Patriots fans. They salty. They salty. This and that. They're upset. They got caught cheating. This and that and the other thing. You know, you can say what you want about Spygate. I'll take my my penalty 100 times out of 100 for Spygate. 
we did wrong there. The more and more that this deflate gate stuff goes out, the more and more I sit there and go, the NFL has some serious egg on their face. And I'm not talking egg beaters. I'm talking old-fashioned eggs out of a hen's ass right on their face, and no one has that more than Roger Goodell and Ted Wells. Yeah, with more and more information being leaked, I just visualized Roger Goodell, almost like in a Three Stooges episode, just repeatedly taking pies to the face. He, to me, has come across, perhaps this is a recency bias, but as the most incompetent commissioner, in my opinion. And Jeff, I'll be honest, his primary job as commissioner of the NFL is to protect the owners. When they say the shield, he is the shield. His job is to protect the owners. And throughout this past season plus, he has done an atrocious job of that. So when everyone points to his incompetence and saying that's why he should be fired, there's no greater failure that he's experienced as commissioner of the NFL than the inability to protect the owners because that's job number one for him. So if he's going to be fired, it starts with that reason and how much he's let them down, especially his biggest supporter in Robert Kraft. It is a sad day when you look and you see the debacle that has become Deflategate. It has just become horrible, and no one, in my opinion, owns more up to that than Roger Goodell. He fined the New England Patriots more money than any team has ever been fined. He took away a first-round draft pick and a fourth-round draft pick and suspended the best quarterback in the NFL for four games. And when it first came out, you saw the Wells report and that Brady didn't cooperate and all this other stuff, and then the Patriots were fine because they didn't cooperate, even though the Wells report says that it didn't find the Patriots in the wrong, it did not find Bill Belichick in the wrong, and yet they're fining them and suspending their marquee player, and then they're also you know, docking draft picks? I, I mean, tell me where that comes from. This is absolutely ridiculous. And again, I'm not trying to be an upset Pats fan here. I'm looking at this, you know, on May 6th, I looked at this and I said, damn, I can't believe that. But all right, you know what? I read the Wells report. I spent, you know, two hours reading all 230-odd pages. And I'm like, Al, you know what? There's a lot of things in here that look against the Patriots. And the Wells report in context comes out, and it gives you a different light. And it shows you a bunch of different things. I mean, it is laughable a little bit when they say that McNally calls himself the deflator because he's trying to lose weight. That's, you know, kind of a stretch, but the rest of it holds water. Unlike, you know, the Wells report, which if you stuck some Vaseline on it, it still leaked through. Yeah, there's a rather large gray area to this entire issue. On the one hand, and this is just my opinion, like Ted Wells, I don't have the facts. I would think that Tom Brady did this. I would think that the <coughs> excuse me that the Patriots were deflating the footballs. I also think, like you said, you know, you can't really explain or justify the text message from McNally referring to himself as a deflator. I think the Patriots' goal with their response about him saying that's just him trying to lose weight and that's how he refers to it is more just proving that you can't definitively say 
that it was referring to deflating footballs because we can just as easily say it relates to something else. So it was childish. No one buys it, nor should they. But I think that's all they were trying to accomplish there was proving that it's just another point that the NFL is basing their ruling off of that isn't, doesn't have enough substance to it. And at the same time, moving away from the Patriots, I think this is a league-wide issue. I refuse to believe that the Patriots were the only team involved in this. You hear <coughs> all these different quarterbacks come out and say that you know they've been involved in this or they know what goes on, whether it be Jeff Blake, David Carr, you name it. There's different quarterbacks that have come out, not necessarily on Brady's side as much as just letting the public know this is not one team. So you're piling on the Patriots, but it's a league-wide issue. And <coughs> it's also a rule that really is absurd because of the fact that the NFL clearly has little understanding of it and no control over getting the PSI down to such a specific range. There's just too many variables in play, as we've seen now. So just it makes you question, or at least it makes me question, how many other rules like this are in place that the NFL lacks an understanding and control over. I can't agree with you more there, Bobby. It was a lot of things to happen uh, with this. Of course, right before we started to record tonight, there was a report on uh, on Sports Center that the Patriots and the NFL were using back channels to try to settle their differences instead of um, you know having this go to appeals court and this and that. And again, it's it, that doesn't surprise me. It's the spineless way that Roger Goodell works his his job here anyone else doing as piss poor of a job as Roger Goodell would be shown the door a long time ago instead he makes 44 million dollars a year you know what I'll tell you right now I'll take 44 thousand dollars a year to do his job and I'll do a 10 times better job I'll be rule I'll do just and I'll put it out there the way it's supposed to be not oh you know you're the New England Patriots so you get a really 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 tough tough penalty because you've been good for 15 years and Oh, hey, Minnesota and Carolina, you guys, we feel bad for you, especially you, Minnesota. You know, you've never won a Super Bowl. You've been to, you've been to four of them. We're sorry. Um, you know what? Here's just a little slap on the wrist. And, oh, oh, Chargers, you might move out of San Diego. We understand you were putting stick them on the ball. It's okay. We'll let it go away. No, you give one rule straight across the board. You don't, you don't sit there and, and give the favorite child, you know, uh, good stuff, and and the bastard child, you don't turn around and give him a worse punishment. You know what? So uh, it's unfortunate, you know, and we'll get Pete Shepard on the line right now to talk a little bit about uh, the Patriots and Deflategate as we move forward in this offseason for the New England Patriots and their Super Bowl championship. Well, joining us on the line right now is Pete Shepard. Of course, Pete can be found on ESPN New Hampshire, 1200 and 950 on your radio dial. He is part of the Arcan and Shepherd Show on ESPN New Hampshire. Pete, how you doing today? Good. It's twelve fifty and nine hundred though, but you were close. <laughs> I was close. I was close. <laughs> uh, I'm real good at that, Pete. I'm not very what, good with numbers. What's a couple of fifties between friends? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's a couple of PSI between friends, right, Pete? Uh, yeah, which is the equivalent of uh, you know what. Two or three dollar bills stacked up on top of one another. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. You know, I'm 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 more interested in today um, 
And just going back over now, another another leak from the NFL office, the Ben Bowen this time of the uh, Boston Globe. What a shock that is. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, they are just, this is just an absolute cluster belief what is going on right now. And this talks about, well, was even, you know, Mike Florio was also an attorney. He's talking about there could be charges of malpractice and all of this. And, and when this is all said and done, uh, it's a possibility, but. This is just frightfully, frightfully botched in so many ways. It was like when Freddie Corleone tried to take out Michael in the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't think it's through enough. <laughs> How do you like that for an analogy? I, I love it. I love the Godfather. Everyone but Godfather 3. I just I, They lost me there. They lost me. Yeah, and there's but, that one scene, though, when Anthony Garcia says, I'm going to do something. He says, don't get frightened. I just want to show you that. <laughs> when, when he's rich, <laughs> I think that's a pretty funny line. That's kind of gruesome, but, uh, you know. Um, I'm, that's the way I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I could say this: that kind of gruesome is what Roger Goodell and the rest of the NFL is looking like right now. Not only with this whole saga with the Patriots, but everything that he has done since becoming commissioner. You got to give me your thoughts on on the gingerhead ginger boy whipping boy. Yeah. Well, you know the problem is is that Bob Kraft is one of his biggest advocates in this whole thing, so. You know, how's that working out for him right now? Um, it, it, you know, Bob supported him the whole time. You know, through all this, through all the Ray Rice, through all the garbage and everything this guy touches. I mean, it is, you talk about, and I don't know, I mean, he's really stupid. I, you know, I, look, I'm sure he's smart in some areas, but as a commissioner, Roger Goodell is flat out stupid for some of the stuff. <laughs> and as I've said on my show many times, this guy cannot make a decision. He sticks his finger in his mouth then points it out to the wind, see which way it's blowing, and then decides, you know, based on public opinion or media and fans alike, which way to, which, what to do. He's been doing this now uh, for the last you know, for the last year, really. And everything he does, every time he makes a ruling, it gets overturned by somebody else. You know, you go back and see what happened in New Orleans, and Paul Tagliabue, the former commissioner, come in and reversed everything he said. <laughs> so this is, I mean, this is going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out, if he indeed is going to be allowed to be the arbiter, which I still think is very much up in the air. Pete, I've never seen a commissioner so swayed by the media and public opinion as Goodell, so I'm certainly there with you that this seems unprecedented. And now, in your mind, it also seems like, forget the zero say that he has when it comes to the owners, it also seems like there might be people working under him who kept this whole thing from Goodell, made sure he didn't know about it, which reeks of a sting operation. Is that what you think was the case here? I certainly think it's not out of the realm of possibilities. I'm tired of local and some national media people shooting that theory down. And I get a very, I get a, I get a text or a private Facebook message from somebody in the Philadelphia area uh, who's, I don't want to mention the reporter's name. I wouldn't do it on the show, but basically you know, the Kensel thing is, is uh, Kensel and John Harbaugh somehow are going to come up with this thing. They are not free from this by a long shot. And Kensel, he used to, was with the Jets, as most of you know, when Belichick decided to leave and that whole, I'm no longer the HC of the NYJ, that whole thing. Uh, and Belichick had Kessler as his lawyer and sued the NFL at one uh, to get out of that contract. Same lawyer Brady hired, by the way. But Kensel is involved in this. I think John Harbaugh is involved in this. And if those guys ever have to turn their cell phones over, man, oh, man, what a party we're going to have. I can't wait if it does end up 
you know, in court. That is going to be really, really interesting. So, yeah, I think Kinsel absolutely, uh, you know, I think there's a chance anyway, not absolutely, but I think there's a good chance he withheld the information. Goodell was not, did not know about it, and if he did, he would have warned Kraft and said to the Patriots, like he does with a lot of teams and a lot of other situations, like, hey, you know, we're hearing about some possible shenanigans going on. Just let you know, you know, don't let anything happen on, uh, you know, on the AFC Championship. So if that information is found to have been withheld from Roger Goodell, then all hell is really going to break loose. Oh, definitely. I mean, if you read the Wells report and then you read the rebuttal, the Wells report in context that was released yeah. last week by the Patriots, there is a point in there where they say that McNally walked by a room full of NFL executives yeah. and Kensel was one of the guys that were there. So you can't yeah. tell me that uh, there isn't a little shadiness going on here. And I don't want to sound like a salty Patriots fan, uh, but I do believe that the cards were stacked in the wrong direction against the Patriots. You know, I think that uh, there was some shady dealing from the bottom of the deck here, and the Patriots were caught, uh, you know, with their pants down a little bit here. Whether or not they were guilty of, uh, you know, inflating or deflating the footballs, it's still, if you use the label gauge, are exactly in the rules of, uh, you know, the laws of natural gas or whatever they're calling it these days. Mm-hmm. No, I, look... There's, there's no question. I mean, I mean, it, the NFL is not a court of law. But if this was ever in a court of law, it would have been dismissed after about you know 35 seconds. Um, it, it's you know I just go back to what I read earlier today about what the NFL leaked to Bowen on Sunday night that the investigators did not agree with Dan Goldberg's characterizations of the emails made clear after hearing out all of Dan's arguments they considered the Patriots in violation of the duty to cooperate and. As Mike Fuller goes on to say, this is not a normal piece of litigation, and if an investigator misses a piece of evidence, he has an absolute obligation to follow up on the evidence. The subject of the investigation cannot hide behind technical procedural arguments, especially when the investigators disagree that there ever was an agreement. Now, if that's the case, as Volan points out today, Ted Wells needed to say so publicly he had a chance to do so with the New York Post, but he didn't. Instead, he contradicts his own report says nothing about the absence of an agreement that witnesses wouldn't be questioned, and, and the second time based on evidence that Wells had in his files before the first investigation. This is where I think he can really get in some trouble here uh, for malpractice. I mean, that's what the, a lot of people are speculating on. I mean, this thing, is, this thing is one gigantic sieve. That's all I can tell you. It's a gigantic sieve. just full of holes. And, Pete, one of those pieces of information that Wells tossed aside was the Patriots telling him, that the Jacksonville Jaguars saw the Colts ball boys with needles up their sleeves. So while Wells might have dismissed that, I'm curious to hear what you make of it. Well, I look, I, I think it happened. You heard what Carr said, you know, uh, Derek, uh, David Carr said earlier today or, or over the weekend as well about when he played in Denver. Not that he won a lot of games, but it's like, <laughs> no, I, I, between the, you know, the, uh, the atmosphere and the, uh, and the uh, uh, lack of humidity, that, you know, absolutely, he told, called his ball boys out and had them de- deflate balls. I mean, it happens all the time. Uh, Jeff Blake came out last week. This has been going on for, you know, since the beginning of the time. There's just no incontrovertible evidence at all that Brady said lower it past 12 and a half, which is where he likes it, period. Um, end of story. And the other thing that just absolutely pisses me off, I've been saying this the last couple of weeks, is all these numb nuts in the media who start talking about, oh, the Patriots fumble only once on average of 187 times as opposed to the league average of 137. So that's 
that document involved. Really? You you idiots? I said, just because they it doesn't show up on the statute as a fumble, they've been lucky and recovered a lot of them. They fumbled twice yeah. in a playoff game against Baltimore and nearly got and one had to be overturned. They the one the one guy lost his Stephen really lost his job because he fumbled so much. They just got they've been very lucky that when they have fumbled, they have recovered those balls. And people need to see that stat too. They have fumbled. Maybe even more than some on the, on the average and stuff. They just recovered them all. And that stat is not the one that everybody looks at. It's just such a laziness. Just little things like that that really bother me. One of the things that's bothered me from the onset of this is uh, people in the local and national media who have come out and said, well, you know, if Brady had just you know, admitted to his wrongdoing, uh, right off the thing, he would have got a slap on the wrist and a fine. You know, at first I was agreeing with them there, and then as time has gone on and how Bob Kraft has defended his franchise and what is going on uh, as of now, I'm beginning to think that the that Brady really did not have any knowledge with this, and now I'm shifting my gears towards the NFL. If the NFL had just come out and said there was a, a issue with the footballs, uh, we are handling it behind closed doors, and it's a twenty-five thousand dollar fine if they are found guilty, uh, as said in rule book uh, in the rule book, that this would have all just gone away. But because it's the Patriots, it seemed to ratchet it up about tenfold. Yeah, well, I think where Tom made um, a, a, a mistake here is when he said he didn't know who McNally was. You know, and according to the, well, the problem with the Welsh report is we don't know what, exactly what Tom Brady said. It's laughable what he said last week that Brady was quoted. And I mean, I think there's a total of like nine words that he said. He's two little blurbs. How do you not have all of Tom Brady's testimony in this report? I don't give a damn if, the, if it was a thousand pages. How do you not have what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick said in this report? I, I just, for the life of me, cannot figure that out. And obviously this investigation, as I said, was, was frightfully boxed in, in a lot of different areas. I think there were there were people that there were steps overlooked. I think there was ev- I think evidence that was there, uh critical text messages that were there before. Um there was some I, I just think incompetence by, by Wells in a lot of this. And I think finally people are starting to see a lot of it. It's coming out. I think he's gonna I mean I think he he looks foolish. I really do. I mean, I'm not trying to. I'm really not trying to sound like Joe Homer here. I'm telling you, you th- this thing is 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 unbelievable, and we're learning more and more and more. And the NFL and these leaks keep coming out from the NFL office again. Like I said, the latest was to uh, Ben Bowen of the Globe today, and it does not fare well for Ted Wells or the NFL again. They they look stupid. Yeah, I think over this past season plus, Commissioner Goodell's integrity. His, you know, people question his intelligence now. A lot of, you know, he's taken a lot of hits. It's been as tough a year on him as it has anyone else in the sports realm. Also, an important event that happened not too long ago was the NFL draft, of course. What are your thoughts on how the Patriots made out there? Well, I, you know, I don't know how anybody can judge any draft, no matter what, until the actual until you see these guys play. A lot of times, you don't know for two or three years down the road. Who the hell? You're not knows? ready to put Malcolm Brown in Canton yet. No, not yet. No, I just hope he makes the team. I just wanted to make the team. I mean, I like what I've seen. I, I, I like what I've seen. Uh, you know, in the past, in the films I've seen, I haven't watched them on TV. But you know, who the hell? Who who can possibly anybody make a definitive statement? You know, that's why I love draft grades at the end. It's so stupid. You go back and look at, you know, you look at these draft experts, so-called draft experts, and they're grading. And, 
you know, go back three years, two or three years later, and, and go try to, you know, review it. And it's so, it's such a crapshoot. Even Nick Casario said that before the draft. You know, it, it really is. You don't, you really don't know. I mean, you have an idea, but you know, you know, I always tell people, who, who the hell? And forget, you know, everybody brings up Brady, six round pick, hundred ninety nine. How many people ever heard of Livingston State before Ben Coates got here? You know, <laughs> I mean, you don't exactly. know. You know, you don't, you don't know. Um, so you just you, you hope for the you hope for the best here, you know. But I mean, I don't think it's going to be fair to evaluate any of these guys unless they don't make the team right away, and some of them may not. <laughs> you know, we thought Dawson and, and Boyce were going to be you know pretty integral parts of this team, and that's not going to happen. Well, Dawson may, uh, but Boyce. I mean, you, you just don't know. But then you know, then they hit on guys like Hightower, you know, and. Um, and a lot of other and a lot of other picks, and hopefully, you know, Malcolm Butler can step up here. And right now, he'd be your starter. <laughs> Without yeah. a doubt, he would, he would be a starter. But it's May 18th, and I'm not going to judge any team right now in their roster on May 18th. It's way, way too early, and guys are going to get released, and guys are going to get cut, and there's going to be a lot of pickups, and it's going to, you know, defensive backfield. I think what they're trying to do is going to reinvent the defense and really become try and become a really big time pass rush team, and that way they won't have to play a lot of one on one coverage. I agree with you there, Pete. And I also, you know, I, I call the people that go out and grade the Patriots draft the day after, you know, all the past fans out there, I call them the Twitter Kuipers. You know, everyone has their their Mel Kuyper Jr. hat on and, and they can give grades after, you know, after three days of drafting guys that have never played an NFL snap in anger. But I look at this team and I am a little bit excited about the way that they've turned things from what they were last year, which was a shutdown man-to-man uh, defense into what looks to be more of a front seven pressure uh, with the guys that they've brought in and uh, a kind of allowing some journeyman uh, cornerbacks and, and Malcolm uh, Butler and Logan Ryan to step up. What are your thoughts on a guy like uh, Jabal Sheard lining up opposite of Chandler Jones and or Rob Dickovich? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's got, uh, it's got, it's got great potential here. Um, it's it just, you know, it, it it's just the, the NFL is such a different, you know, cheers. I like, you know, I, I like what they've done. Uh, I just think, you know, we, got, we, we have to see how these guys, you know, fit into the system. We have to see, this is too many variables right now that are, that are not known. I mean, I, I'm just looking, I mean, I just go through the Patriots draft right now and looking at it. And I said this on the year too. No, no one's, I'm not going to sit here. I watched, I, I love college football. I love it. I can't sit here and tell you how – I mean, I, I I remember seeing the highlights of Malcolm Brown like anybody else. The only two guys I can absolutely say I really remember, I remember Trey Flowers, the defensive best market saw, watched a lot of SEC games because they're on every week, and even though they weren't a great team this year, I remember him having a, some uh, some great plays in a couple of games against, and I remember Matt Wells, the outside linebacker from Mississippi State. And after that, I mean uh, – and, and Shaquille Mason, uh, the – the run blocker of the center guard from Georgia Tech, a little bit from him. That's about it, uh, you know. And also, a derby a few times. He's a tight end from Arkansas. I, but Darrell Roberts, a cornerback from Marshall, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know how many plays I saw Marshall play. Uh, I don't remember Dixon from Alabama, the seventh-round pick. I just have no recollection of him except, you know, to look him up. And, uh, you know, Jordan Richards, I know of him, and he's, you know, I think that was a very curious pick. At the second round, I was a little disappointed there because I think you could have got him in the fourth, one of the fourth round picks that they had. But you know, we'll see. It's it's a crapshoot. We'll see. The, the problem with the Patriots is they haven't had a 
overall, between drafting and trading, I think Belichick as a GM has done a really good job. Where he's, where the weaknesses, there's no question, has been at defensive back and wide receiver for the most part. Speaking of defensive backs, Patriots recently cut Kyle Arrington. He goes on to join a nemesis of New England, the Baltimore yep. Ravens. With all the reshuffling that's gone on with the Patriots secondary, and as you've said, you can't predict the future, and there's always going to be a ton of variables at play. Health is one of the most paramount in this discussion. But how much confidence do you have in this secondary and Belichick's ability to scheme it up, whether it's more pressure or what have you, in this secondary being able to hold its own? Hey, I mean, we've seen Bill do things and change on the fly. I mean, last year was an exception, what they had with Browner and, and Revis. Uh, no question. That's never gonna, probably never going to be repeated anytime soon. But look what he's done in the past and always had to re- reinvent this team Sometimes on offense and defense, but many times on defense, uh, you know, on a week-by-week situation. I mean, a couple of years ago, I mean, you lost Wolfork, you lost Mayo, uh, you lost a backup. I mean, you know, and on offense, you've lost offensive linemen, as you saw the start of the season last year, the first four games, what it was like, and then when everybody finally got together, they were the best offensive line from, like, week five to, like, week 12. So, I mean, one thing that Bill is the best at, and I don't know any other NFL coach that could do it, the way he does it is just the way he re- reinvents, you know, uh, the offense and the defense sometimes on a week-to-week basis. So we'll have to wait and see how this how this uh, defensive backfield shapes up here when it's all said and done. But I do think they're going to try and become more of a, of a pass rushing type team. That's the reason why you saw guys like you saw you know you you, you saw uh, Vin, Big Vince go. Um, they are looking more to the guys like Easley, who said he's going to be ready now for camp. More guys uh, uh, like, uh, you know, defensive linemen that are not the big, burly, run-blocking types. They have to be versatile. They have to be able to, to pass rush. And that, you can see by the way he's grooming this team, that's the direction he wants to go in. Pete, one of the things that I am is an ultimate optimist when it comes to the New England Patriots. I, when the uh, – Suspension to Tom Brady was first announced, and we don't know if it's going to hold up or not. Uh, I wrote a column on CLNS Radio about Jimmy Garoppolo and could he be the next man up for the New England Patriots, and how if he played well, it could be a very nice step for the Patriots in either trading Jimmy Garoppolo next offseason or uh, you know it being the end of the Tom Brady era if, if Garoppolo played unbelievable. If you look at the first four games, do you believe that Jimmy Garoppolo has what it takes to lead this team to, if not a two and two record, at least to a, a three and one record? Well, I I think that even with Brady at quarterback, uh, and again, I'd have to wait and see what the whole, the whole roster is. Of course, uh, I I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have been shocked if the Patriots started two and two with Brady. Uh, I think they're going to win, you know, 13 to 14 games. But, I, but it wouldn't shock me. I hate the fact they have to play Buffalo week two because, you know, it's Rex Ryan and all that nonsense, and it's there. And the fact that, I mean, you, you don't know. You saw the last two years you've seen what happened with the offensive line. It just wasn't ready. It be injuries and what have you, guys just not ready. And people forget that this past season, the, the, if you look at the numbers, from the offense last year, as badly as they looked after the two and two start, uh, they were better than they were two years ago when they were two and two. Not not incredibly better, but slight, they were actually slightly better. And that's why I was telling everybody just take a big gigantic chill pill and just wait to see when they can figure this out. Guys come out of the, come off injuries here, but 
I think that Buffalo game in week two is going to be really tough with or without Brady. Uh, I know the Buffalo still doesn't have a quarterback, but it's just, uh, you know, the Patriots offensive line, you know, they may not be ready yet, depending on if if everybody's healthy. If everybody's healthy, a different story. But it never seems to be that way for this team when they start the season. never seems to be that way at offense. So I'll have to to wait and see. But I I think, yeah, can Garoppolo, I mean, Jacksonville, I think anybody, I mean, I think that's an easy win. Uh, it should be an easy win for them. But Pittsburgh on opening night is going to be tough. You know, no question about it. Uh, you know, that's with 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 Brady, it's obviously they went from a you know, seven-point favorite to a two-point favorite without him in the line if he's not there. And then, uh, you know, Buffalo, I think Buffalo is going to be a tough game, even with Brady there, because it's going to be that's going to be like Rex Ryan's Super Bowl again. So, <laughs> uh, you know, two and two, three and one. That's fine, you know. As long as uh, you know, as long as they're not zero and four, one and three to start, and I don't think they will be. So, you know, this is still the by I still by far the most talented team on offense. I, I can't believe the money that Tannehill got today. I, I, no, it's unreal. Blown, I'm just blown away by the guaranteed Unbe- money that he got. But so. Pete, our our react question of the week is uh, is this: um, Does the uh, Deflate Gate? controversy diminish what the New England Patriots accomplished in the 2014 season. So I'm going to ask you that. Does the deflate controversy diminish what the Patriots accomplished? No, I don't, I don't think it does at all. It's always going to, it only, only, only the haters out there and the ultimate contrarians out there will say that. I mean, that's, that's crazy. You know, the, the only thing that would have really been horrible if that curse catch had held up and oh. Butler didn't make that pick, and that would have been the ultimate disaster. You know, had they lost the Super Bowl, and then we had to go through, and you know, the Patriots have to go through, and the fans go through this. But, uh, but it didn't happen. They they made more plays. You know, Brady shredded them, shredded that great Seattle defense. He passed seventy four percent completion percentage, and uh, he did have two picks. Yes, but I mean, he was all flawless in the fourth quarter of that game, uh, and most of the second half. And no, in my mind, I don't I don't know how it can diminish anything. Again, we're talking. No matter what you believe, you are talking about the weight of a couple of dollar bills, not pounds, pounds per square inch. With there's still reporters out there who don't understand that. It's a sad day when people don't understand the difference between PSI and, and actual LBSs. So Pete yep. Shepard of the Arcan and Shepard Show, ESPN New Hampshire, 900 and 1250 on your radio dial. Pete, thank noon you so to, much for three, joining yeah. Noon to noon three, to three. Yeah. No, anytime, guys. My pleasure. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Looking Pete, thank you so much. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. All right. See you, Pete. The wait is finally over. Baseball season is here at last, and the excitement continues all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitment, just instant cash, instant gratification. Why wait until the end of the season to claim victory when you can win huge cash every day? At DraftKings, it's a brand new season every time you play. Just select two pitchers and eight position players. Stay under the salary cap, and you could be on your way to an enormous payday. Last year, Peter from Colorado won a million bucks at DraftKings in one day, just playing fantasy baseball. Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code NEWENGLAND to play for free. You could win part of the $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. Use promo code NEWENGLAND for free entry now at DraftKings.com. 
DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. The Pete Shepard interview tonight was brought to you by our friends over at Peak Brewing, peakbrewing.com. Get out and try yourself an organic beer today. I've been talking about it for months. They're nut brown. I just love it. With Memorial Day weekend coming up, I'm getting excited for the summertime, and I'm going to try their summer brew as well. Well, of course, like everything in the 24-hour news cycle, things change minute by minute, hour by hour. And shortly after our interview with Pete Shepard, Bob Kraft held an impromptu uh, press conference down at the owners' meetings in San Francisco, and he stepped down and stepped out and basically said that he reluctantly accepts the penalties and will not appeal. Patriots Nation is wild. Uh, I've seen tweets that have gone every which way from I'm disappointed in Bob Kraft to he's turned his back on the fan base to he should sell the team, which those people are idiots. Not all, but the people that think he should sell the teams are an idiot. Listen, I understand that people are upset, Bobby, but he had a he had a choice, and Bob Kraft came out and said that he could either extend it or end it, and he decided to end it. Patriots Nation, of course, is not happy with losing a first-round draft pick and a fourth-round draft pick, but, well, as Bill Belichick would say, it is what it is. Yeah, and I understand the disappointment, even if I certainly don't agree with the rationale or the logic behind you know some of the sentiments that you just shared with us about how Patriots fans are feeling about Kraft you know the team the organization the fan base have been under fire as a result of Deflategate and so to see your owner who for a while comes out and fights this thing vehemently now he changes his tune and he comes out and waves the white flag. I get why that's disappointing and why that angers some fans, but I would just advise everyone to take a step back and understand that this was not only the best but the most logical course of action for the Patriots because if Kraft continues to fight this thing, he's obviously not going to get much out of going to court with Goodell being, you know, being the arbitrator. So he's going to have to circumvent the NFL bylaws in order to actually take this thing to court, where at that point you've become a renegade. You know, I heard someone use the analogy, it's like being an outsider at your own country club. And Bob Kraft, you know, that, who knows what that could lead to from him being voted off of committees or just his voice completely being ignored and muted within NFL circles. Here's one of the most powerful owners in the entire NFL. And for him to just lose his voice entirely or dramatically would be a huge blow, both to Kraft personally and the Patriots organization as a whole. It's interesting how it all kind of went down because when the Wells report in context came out, I think all of Patriots nation figured the gloves were coming off and this was going to be, a bloody duel to the end between Bob Kraft and Roger Goodell. Bob Kraft, uh, you know, there's been a lot of childish behavior throughout this entire um, situation from the NFL, from Ted Wells to John E. Brady's agent to even the Patriots with their uh, Wells report in context with their, uh, you know, calling the deflator because he's trying to lose weight, as we said earlier. 
Kraft stood up and, and, and was a man here. And whether you believe it or not that uh, what this is, is this is Kraft basically stepping up and saying, all right, enough with, with the team. You know, all right, we'll take our we'll take our penalties. And the more I look at it, Bobby, I'm sitting there and thinking that the Welsh report in context is actually a ploy or a play to get Brady's suspension either reduced or absolutely wiped out as it puts more reasons of doubt into what happened to Tom Brady as opposed to the Patriots. Listen, it sucks that they lost a first-round draft pick, all right? I don't really give a damn about the million dollars. It's, it, it doesn't matter. It's not coming out of my pocket, anything like that. But the way that I'm looking at this is Bob Kraft is a calculated businessman. And we remember before the 2012 season when there was the you know NFL lockout, it was Bob Kraft who helped broker that deal to get the NFLPA and, of course, uh, the Owners uh, Association to agree on a new collective bargaining agreement. Part of that collective bargaining agreement was making Roger Goodell the, you know, the sheriff, the executioner, the lawyer, the judge, all that sort of stuff. So for Bob Kraft to turn around and then challenge Goodell, he's going back on a deal that he helped broker. Yeah, ironically enough, no owner has been as strong in their backing of Goodell as Kraft. This is his guide to the point where even in the midst of all the domestic violence scandals going on across the league, Kraft went on Good Morning America, presumably using his ties with Les Moonves of CBS, and he once again backed Goodell and supported him in the job he was doing at the time. He did it again during Deflate deflate gate closer to the Super Bowl. So for him to then completely change course doesn't look good on his part either. And it just opens up a whole nother door of possibilities. So Kraft really, you know, this was certainly the best outcome for him is to wave the white flag and just move on as much as possible, get welcomed back into that circle of trust with the owners. And it shouldn't impact what happens with Tom Brady's appeal process, but we shall see whether it impacts it positively for Brady in the sense that maybe there was some backdoor deal going on there with Kraft and Goodell, or, you know, maybe it just doesn't impact it whatsoever. It's going to be interesting to see once this all comes to rest. It sure will be interesting to see because we're going to sit back and over the next week to 10 days, you know, a lot of things are going to happen with Tom Brady, Roger Goodell, of course, the NFLPA coming out right after uh, Kraft's uh, press conference saying that it had no bearing on what was happening with the NFLPA and, of course, Tom Brady and their appeal against the four-game suspension, uh, asking Robert Kraft to step down as the uh, – as the hearing uh, supervisor and, and get an individual party in there. When we talked to Pete Shepard earlier in the podcast, he talked about how Paul, Paul Tagliabue uh, was in um, for the Saints Bounty Gate uh, program. So it'll be interesting to see who they bring in. I don't know how Roger Goodell can step up and do this. I still think that this is a bag job, even though uh, Bob Kraft has, you know, stepped down and, and, and taken the higher road, which I, I know a lot of Patriots Nation is pissed off about. Believe me, 
You, you hear it all throughout uh, sports radio, on all the social media networks. Patriots Nation's pissed off right now, but I want to know if I want to know if this is a good trade off for you. Are you if Brady's suspension is completely taken away and he is down to zero games and he opens that Monday uh, that Thursday night against the Steelers? Is are you okay with them giving up the million dollars and the two draft picks? Well, the million dollars. I'll start with the fact that it's not my money, so it's a steep price to pay. But at the same time, it's something that, you know, Bob Kraft might feel otherwise. And to be honest, he probably doesn't. It's probably the lowest on that list of punishments, you know, in terms of what bothers him. I think the draft pick was the one that hurts the most, losing the first round pick. We know how good the Patriots have been at finding a valuable starter out of their first round pick including when they use it to trade back and collect even more assets. So I think that's what hurts the most. We saw what happened the first month of the season last year where they went two and two and they struggled to find themselves. And then, of course, they go on to win the Super Bowl. So Brady, even if it's a month, that hurts, especially if they go one and three or somehow wind up 0 and four, then it really stings. But I feel like the draft pick was the most severe of the punishments and what's going to hurt the Patriots the most in all this. Well, you know, I mean, the one thing that I'm going to say about the draft pick, and I've seen some people go up there, why do people care about the draft pick, that first-round draft pick? It's not like the Patriots do anything. Uh, You know, they always just trade out. Well, you know what? The Patriots don't always just trade out of the first round. It doesn't happen as often as people think. It's actually happened, I think, twice in the Bill Belichick era where they've um, you know, traded out completely. Uh, one of them being uh, in the 2009, I believe it was, yeah, 2009, where they traded out and selected Patrick Chung with their first uh, draft pick. And then uh, the Rossi Dowling year, I believe that was 2011. No, they got uh, 2011, I'm sorry, they grabbed Nate Soldier. So um, there was another, oh, two years ago, uh, when they traded out from 29. Uh, and got the second, right. third, fourth, and seventh rounder back. So it's only happened a couple times. It's it's not like they do this, uh, you know, a lot. They do trade back, but they don't always trade out. And if you look at Bill Belichick's history of first round draft picks, I did an article earlier in the season on this, on early in the off season. Um, he's made some good picks in the first round. <coughs> I mean, if you really look at him, the the ones that you can, you know, really kind of shake your head at are are, are Lawrence Maroney, who you know kind of flopped here. And Brandon Merriweather to uh, to an extent, but every other first round draft pick from Re- Richard Seymour, um, you know, to Devin McCourty has worked out and worked out well. Uh, Nate Soldier, both of draft picks in 2012s, and Chandler Jones and Dante Hightower. So the Patriots Nation has every uh, you know reason to be upset about the draft pick being gone. However, again, I'm going to stand by this: if somehow, some way, Brady's suspension is reduced to nothing. Uh, it's something that I'll that I'll take and I'll live with because, you know, Tom Brady's going to be 38 years old to start the 2015 season. Uh, you know, we all like to think that uh, Brady's Iron Man; he's going to go on forever. Um, but you know what? You turn around and and he's getting to that age where quarterbacks start to decline. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. There's only maybe two to three more solid, solid seasons for Tom Brady, and I'd be saying that. You know, maybe this year and next are your best years to 
to to add number five in the in the Lombardi trophies. Yeah, you know that window is getting smaller even after just winning another Lombardi trophy. Time is certainly not on Tom Brady's side. And who knows if uh, Bill Belichick's going to be the one to cut the cord. He might decide where he's reached a point that it's time to give Jimmy Garoppolo the keys to the franchise, let him be the starting quarterback. And as he's done in the past, might feel it's best to move on from one of this team's most loved veteran players, as emotional as that would be for Brady. You know, perhaps Kraft steps in. We'll see how things play out in the future. As far as Brady's appeal process goes, though, Jeff, you know, I think that Roger Goodell had no choice but to be the arbitrator in this. There's just so much on the line, and he's taken such a beating in the public eye with his reputation. So for him to step down almost guarantees with how flimsy the Wells report is that the suspension is going to be reduced, possibly even overturned, and it could look even worse than that in terms of how the appeal process plays out in court. So he could come off looking a lot worse than solely the fact that the punishment that him and Troy Vincent meted out was overturned or reduced. I think that he's going to, you know, staying on was best for him. And I also think what he's going to end up doing, whether it's already agreed to or not, is reduce Brady's suspension by two games. I don't see him overturning it completely just because of the backlash that will create. But dropping two games off the suspension, cutting it in half, is sort of meeting in the middle, and neither side is wholly satisfied by that. But that's kind of the point. I can see what you're saying, and it's kind of the point. I'm going to hinge my bet on this thing gets rescinded because I don't think TB12 is going to stop until he's playing that first game of the season because I really believe that Tom Brady doesn't think that he did anything wrong. And you know what? His, he's hired some great lawyers, uh, you know, guys that have absolutely taken a task uh, to the NFL in the past. Uh, I, I just think that's what's going to happen. I think they rescind this. Yeah, and I'll tell you one more thing, Jeff. It's interesting because the NFLPA feels like they have the player, the case, and the right lawyers and right representation to take this to the wall and use this as the vehicle to force Roger Goodell to remove himself from having such power over making, over deciding punishments for players. So this is a golden opportunity in the NFLPA's eyes to get Goodell to recuse himself from having the ability to do so. Yeah, this is one thing that I, I read earlier today, which was uh, former Patriot Darrell Revis coming out and saying, uh, you know, his comments on uh, the whole Deflategate issue. And basically, you know, he kind of took some, I wouldn't say they were jabs, but he, he took a higher road saying, listen, um, if we're going to, if we wanted Roger Goodell not to be the, you know, judge general and all that other stuff, then why'd we vote him in in the CBA? Because they, they did rectify this in the CBA that, that Goodell could oversee all appeals. Um, it, to me, it just makes no sense. I understand where Revis is coming from. The NFLPA, uh, you know, this was could have been one of the sticking points, but they signed off on this. So, unfortunately, Goodell has the position to be in there, but I think you are right 
they do have the player. He uh, you love him, hate him, or indifferent. Tom Brady is one of the faces of the NFL since you know 2001 when he first uh, got onto the field uh, in that Jets game that Drew Bledsoe got hurt on. Uh, you know, ever since then he's been the face of not only this franchise but him and Peyton Manning have been the face of the NFL. So you have the biggest marquee star fighting the fight that needs to be fought for the NFLPA. And don't forget, when the League uh, Players Association sued the NFL, uh, it was Brady versus the NFL. So, uh, you know, this is the second time that Brady's name could be tied to a lawsuit. That's right. That's a great point, Jeff. I'd also like to remind our listeners that as far as Darrell Rivas' comment goes, I certainly think that the shot at DeMaury Smith saying, if this issue is so important, why did you cave? And sort of a way for Rivas to back his cousin, Sean Gilbert, who ran for Smith's seat and came up short. I certainly yep. think that's a way of defending his cousin and taking a shot at DeMaury Smith. Uh, exactly. So, well, that's our thoughts on, on what's happening here on Deflategate. Let's get it over and talk a little bit about football. What do you say? Finally. <laughs> Well, we've given Deflategate enough of its pumping or deflating or whatever you want to call it. It's time to talk a little football here. And the New England Patriots, of course, are your Super Bowl champions. They begin the season in a few short months. Of course, training camp is about two months away. What will it look like? Will it be Jimmy Garoppolo's team to start off the season? Or will Tom Brady's suspension be rescinded? Another lot of things happening. Of course, the New England Patriots have re-signed former linebacker, Brandon Spikes, uh, the man who uh, left and said it was four years a slave, blocked a bunch of mass holes, couldn't wait to beat the Patriots twice a year, and lo and behold, well, he must have really liked being a slave because he comes back, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know how he's going to answer that question. I guess he has no choice but to own up to being an idiot in that situation. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I didn't know what he was thinking at the time when he said that, and now that he's back here, it looks even more foolish, so I guess I'll just write that one off to immaturity, but we know that B-Spikes always keeps it entertaining, and more importantly, he fills a critical area of need for the Patriots this season. You've got Dante Hightower coming off of off-season surgery, Gerard Mayo played in less than half of the games for the second consecutive season, so... That inside linebacker position, specifically a run stopper, was something that they had but didn't have much depth at. And when you look at the starters both having you know injuries this past season, it was a major area for the Patriots to fulfill. They didn't truly target this area during the draft, you know, getting an inside linebacker. So to bring Brandon Spikes back was a very good move for the Patriots. I love the move by the Patriots. I think it. Uh, you're right. It fills a need. And as we talked with Pete Shepard, and he was saying how the Patriots would be getting, you know, after the quarterback more often here. Of course, with the uh, drafting of Malcolm Brown, and uh, of course last year's draft of Dominic Easley, who of course, as Pete said, will be ready for training camp. The Patriots are going to be able to get after uh, the passer this year. And having a guy like Brandon Spikes who can come in on first and second down or in goal line situation, a guy who has a nose for the football. I like this this uh, signing here. I like having Brandon Spikes back. I didn't think he was a superb uh, athlete. I didn't think he was a superb linebacker, but I like it a lot. Um, you know, I mean, I really like this 
signing. I think it's I think it's the type of player that brought emotion to this team. And I think with you know losing a Darrell Revis, losing a Brandon Browner, uh, you know losing a Vince Wilfork, you need someone who brings a little more uh, you know oomph to the uh, to the table. And I love this signing of. Uh, of Brandon Spikes or, or re-signing if you want to call it there but you know what I also am looking forward to the young uh, defensive tackles in Malcolm Brown and, and Dominic Easley what do you think there yeah starting with Spikes he's a terrific two down linebacker he knows the system he was productive in it and <coughs> like you said last year people kept saying well with Brandon Browner they get some of the toughness and the tone setting that they lost in Brandon Spikes now they get Spikes back to fill that area as Browner departs for New Orleans. And in regards to the defensive line, it seems to me, Jeff, like when the Patriots drafted Malcolm Brown, the status of Dominique Easley became inflated. And I know now that's an interesting word to use, but that seems to be what happened, that somehow getting Malcolm Brown made Dominique Easley's status rise in the eyes of Patriots fans. Let's not forget, Jeff, that when we had Mike Reese on the program, he had a lot of red flags, a lot of question marks surrounding Easley. You know, can he hold up at that position, not just health-wise, but is he going to be able to play inside at his current weight, or will he need to put on pounds? Is that going to impact his explosiveness in a negative way? We're going to have to see it from Easley, which we really didn't last year, not that we were expecting to, but he's going to have to prove it on the field before you can convince me or we can go saying that the Patriots have this great dynamic in place in the defensive front. You know, I normally agree with just about 99% of what uh, Mike Reese says. I, I like Mike a lot. Um, you know, Mike had covered me uh, in the, in the Metro West daily news or Middlesex daily news at the time. Uh, I've known Mike for years and I, and I agree with 99% of the things he has to say. I'm looking at Dominic Easley, and I see a guy who reminds me, and I've said this before, of Hank Thomas, the former New England Patriots uh, defensive tackle, also played with the Minnesota Vikings. Same size, both about 6'2", 288. We saw him play uh, uh, Dominic Easley here. We saw him play a, a nice five technique as a defensive end last year. I think with the change in defensive philosophy, I think you're going to see that this year. I think you're going to see a lot more even fronts here. Uh, with two penetrating defensive tackles being, whether it be Easley and Malcolm Brown, whether you have Silva Salinger in there trying to penetrate, uh, whether you bring a guy like Chandler Jones in the inside, and don't forget Chris Jones, uh, who in his rookie season had five and a half sacks, I think you're going to see a lot more you know, attacking the A and B gaps here by the defensive tackles. And I think that Dominic Easley, you don't need that size. As Pete Shepard said, they're going to be trying to get uh, you know, lighter, quicker, faster. And I think Easley... Uh, in today's NFL, can be a very good player. Is he going to be able to stand up and you know stop a uh, you know let's just say it's Legarrette Blount? Is he going to be able to stand up and stop a Legarrette Blount running through the middle? No, he's probably not. But then again, that's why you might have Brandon Spikes or you could have Jamie Collins blitzing that A gap. Uh, you know, I'm excited about what happens moving forward. And let's not forget that the Patriots, as you just said, they have a rotation in place, so it's not as if easily needs to be on the field when the Patriots need to stop the run. He can be just a part of a rotation, a situational pass rusher. You know, the being able to generate pressure from the inside is critical in the NFL, especially in today's game. So that's an important area that the Patriots seem to be targeting and looking for improvement from. To be honest, I think they've been re rebuilding their 
philosophy along the defensive line for a while now. You know, we've seen the big bodies like Kyle Love come and go, and now they've gone lighter up front, a move that I really like, and I'm curious to see how it plays out. It's just a question of can these guys, because let's keep in mind, of course, that Malcolm Brown being a rookie hasn't played it down in the NFL yet either. He could be a bust, or he could be one of the most valuable picks from the first round of this past draft. It's all a question of how they perform on the field, and there's a lot of potential and a lot to be excited about. It's just a question of going out and proving it. I agree with you there. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Of course, since our last podcast, the Patriots have uh, played musical chairs out there at the cornerback position. They've released Alfonso Dennard. Uh, they have released Kyle Arrington. Uh, they have released uh, Chiqua today. Um, very, uh, you know, especially the, the release of Kyle Arrington, um, that kind of shocked me a little bit. I know that a lot of Patriots fans, you know, weren't huge <coughs> with Kyle Arrington, but he did play well against the type of players that he could play with. He played well in that slot. Other than the Super Bowl, which he was, you know, he was going up against a six foot five uh, inch wide receiver at five foot ten. Uh, Kyle Arrington played some decent football in uh, in New England. Nothing great on the outside, but did very well as a slot corner. Uh, so you look at this now, they've lost their top three cornerbacks from a Super Bowl championship team. Uh, you know, is Malcolm Butler ready to make that next step? I'm going to, as the optimistic person I am, I'm going to say he is. He played very well in the limited opportunities he had, and in the second half of the Super Bowl played very good. Logan Ryan going into his third season, you know, he was kind of buried on that depth chart a little bit behind, uh, you know, the Brandon Browners and Darrell Revis's and Kyle Arrington's, but he played when he had to play, other than the uh, the bad angle he took on the Super Bowl touchdown pass to Chris Matthews. I- I'm excited to see what this uh, defensive backfield can do. Uh, and then, of course, you have uh, Devin McCourty, who re-signed here, and he's got the ability to go, whether it be to to stay at free safety or move down into the box and play slot corner or outside corner. They can move him around. He's going to be a chess piece this year that I think the Patriots can really use. Yeah, the decision to part ways with Kyle Arrington, which certainly seems as if it was financially motivated. That's the conclusion I, along with many others, took from it. <coughs> Excuse me. It's you know, This is sponsored by Robitussin. Yeah, <laughs> we need to start making that happen as I try to recover from this cough. Anyways, it just seemed to me like a mistake on the part of the Patriots yeah, it could be another stroke of genius by Bill Belichick to save money and effectively replace him. But Kyle Arrington, people often underestimate because he was such an easy target to pick on for so many years. He is truly one of the best slot cornerbacks in the game. He's got his struggles on the outside. And I know in the Super Bowl, we saw Chris Matthews making a lot of catches at his expense. But also, if you look at those, it wasn't really a case of bad coverage as much as, much as it was, like you said, uh, just a significant height discrepancy. Um, Matthews is about 6'5". Arrington's around 5'11", give or take. So it wasn't as if he was getting toasted. It was more a situation where he just was given, you know, nowhere near as tall as the guy he was guarding. And Russell Wilson would chuck it up and take advantage of that physical mismatch. It wasn't as if it was bad coverage. Arrington's also an important special teams contributor and... He's physical. He's willing to stick his nose in there against the run. He was a player that I grew to like a lot, and I think it was a mistake to let him go. But 
there's a lot of horses for the Patriots, and we'll see if you know they can use the committee approach to replace him, as well as, of course, Revis and Browner. Jeff, switching things up to the offensive side of the football, a lot of people looked at the departure of Revis and Browner and everyone else that left this offseason from the Patriots championship defense and saying, well, they're going to have to go back to winning games by shootout. They're going to have to score 30-plus week in and week out. Is that your take on this offense? Uh, no, I don't think that's my take on this offense because I don't think the defense is going to be as bad as people uh, think they're going to be. It all depends on this suspension or whatever it's going to be with Tom Brady. Right now it's four games. I personally think it's going to all go away and Brady will be there week one. I, I just think the NFL has too much to lose. And I think Robert Kraft is going to put his fist down and, and, and you know, throw a temper tantrum. But I'm looking at this offense, and I'm loving what they've done here, Bobby. Uh, you know, with Brady, with Garoppolo to start the season, either way, I really like what they've done here. Uh, you know, you have Brandon LaFell coming back. You have Julian Edel coming, coming back. There gives you two really good wide receivers. We saw what Danny Amendola was able to do on that, uh, you know, on the last six games of the season. He really came into his own. You don't win that Baltimore game without Danny Amendola. You do not win the Super Bowl without Danny Amendola. Time and time again, he came up and made the big plays. He showed us the last six games of this season what he showed us his first game in New England Patriots when he went up against the Buffalo Bills for 10 catches. Danny Amendola is a very underrated player for this New England Patriots, and I love the fact that they brought him back. He wants to be here. He took a uh, pay cut. I love what they did on the offensive line with Shaq Mason and... Uh, Excuse me, I can't remember the other Trey kid they drafted. Uh, yeah, Trey Jackson from uh, Florida State. Big uh, road grader in Shaq Mason and a very technical uh, player in, uh, in Jackson uh, to go along with uh, Stork. The thing that I absolutely love that they've done is the depth that they have at tight end right now. And no, I don't think it's going to be the second coming of uh, Gronk and Aaron Hernandez because they don't have really anyone that has the physical gifts that Aaron Hernandez does. Aaron Hernandez had physical gifts. But if you look at this team right now, you have Rob Gronkowski, all-world tight end. They just signed Fred Davis. If he can get his head straight and stay you know, uh, injury-free, he's a very good tight end in the league. You have Scott Chandler, who at six foot seven is a red zone nightmare. He killed the Patriots for years. A.J. Derby, uh, you know, a very good tight end uh, coming out of college. We heard Mike Loiko talk in the last uh, podcast of how great he is and how much he was. He linked him to what Rob Gronkowski is. And then, of course, you have Tim Wright out there as well. Uh, Who Man is still there. I'm looking at what they've done here, and not only am I excited for what they did with the passing game, but one thing that I think it was a little bit underrated last year is the Patriots did have a, a little bit of a hard time running the ball unless they brought six offensive linemen in and uh, declared one of them el- eligible. And usually that was Cameron Fleming who was eligible. When you bring Cameron Fleming in as eligible, he, there's a good chance he's not going to go out and catch a pass. Of course, we did see Nate Soldier catch a pass in the AFC Championship game. But nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, that tackle eligible isn't going out to catch a pass. Now you have more tight ends, tight ends on there that go out. They can all block. They can all catch. This allows the Patriots to go in and attack in different ways. They can come out in this two tight end package or a three tight end package 
And with what they have on the field, they can move it all over the place. They can run, they can pass, they can play action. I love what they have done here. It's just another wrinkle in this Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels offense. Yeah, you know, Fred Davis is a low-risk, high-reward scenario where if it doesn't work out in camp and in the preseason, he's an easy cut. And Derby is another candidate for that move position, move tight end, along with, of course, uh, Tim Wright, who comes back after not doing too much last season. As you know, we talked about his production on the program, he seemed to be a player who it was more he was open when the defense wasn't guarding him, wasn't paying as much attention to him than his ability to get himself open. So I don't know what his chances are for being back on this roster, especially with an increased level of competition for his spot now. So we'll see what happens. Derby is a very intriguing prospect to me, someone who is versatile as a receiver. So I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Very athletic, tight end. Also, as the offense as a whole... I look at what they did in the playoffs, and who knows how long they will or won't wait to unveil this. We know Belichick likes to hold some things back, especially that first month of the season. So you saw how productive they were with the quick passing game, with the three receivers, especially once Amendola got healthy and came on. Are they going to go to that right away? I don't know. But it seemed to be able to work against the best defenses in the league you know, especially, most notably, Seattle's in the Super Bowl on the biggest stage. That offense had no problems moving the ball in the second half. So I'm excited to see what they can do with that. You talk about the running game. I have no idea, nor does anyone else, what James White's going to bring to the passing game. Can he hold up in pass protection against the Blitz? It's going to be interesting to see whether or not he's ready what, you know how productive he will be. And in the run game, was Jonas Gray a one-hit wonder who, just like LeGarrette Blount, ran all over the Colts? Or is he truly going to be productive this season on first and second downs? Is LeGarrette Blount going to be more productive? Because to be honest, like you said, they had trouble running the ball. And of course, the line's a factor in that. But he wasn't all that great last season. And also, Tom Brady, his suspension, even if it's not changed at all, Jeff, four games while an extreme punishment, it's a big deal. And at the same time, it's not from the sense that you'll get how the Patriots started out last year, two and two, and everything was a wreck. Well, if he comes in and they at least, you know, if they match that, then you're fine. Not to mention the fact that I like the players the Patriots drafted along the offensive line, Mason and Jackson, but We'll see if there's a bit of, you know, some growing pains that first month of the season. They've got some good defensive lines they're going up against. Most notably that first month, the Buffalo Bills and Rex Ryan, who plays Brady as tough as anyone. So it's going to be interesting to see. And that might be a good thing, as crazy as that sounds, for Brady not to be playing if the offensive line, of course, is struggling like they did the first month of last season. Yeah, if I'm going to look at anything that I see as a weakness on the offense, I'm looking at that running game, and I'm I'm looking, you know, losing a guy like Shane Vereen, um, you know, that's that's tough. I mean, he caught a lot of key balls to end the season. Um, you know, losing him is going to be tough. Can James White replace him? I'm not 100 percent sure. He sure was able to prove that he could in at Wisconsin. If you get the same back that you had in Wisconsin, he definitely can replace a guy like Shane Vereen and. 
you know, they brought in Travis Cadet, the uh, more of a wide receiver type out of the New Orleans Saints. I, I'm, you know what? I'm not huge on him. I'm not sold on him. I, I'm wondering who's going to tote that rock, you know, first, second down when they when they need the yardage. Look, Eric Blount, of course, is, uh, you know, suspended for the first game of the season. So, you know, Jonas Gray, uh, you know, a lot of people loved what they saw out of Jonas Gray after he ran for 201 yards, but then he hardly touched the ball the rest of the season. I'm wondering what they're going to do, and I don't think Brandon uh, Bolden is, you know, anything special. Uh, of course, you know, they have Tyler Gaffney, uh, a very good running back who was selected by the Carolina Panthers in the sixth round, and the Patriots, of course, uh, you know, played the uh, uh, played the game and put him claimed him and then put him on injured reserve. So uh, we don't know what we're going to get there. If there's one thing that I'm a little concerned about, it's that running game. But you know what? There's four weeks of preseason to figure it out. Someone is going to you know rise to the top and and go from there. So we got a lot of time left before uh, the Patriots kick off, you know, preseason They're They're not even into the full swing of OTAs yet. So it'll be interesting to see how this all gets put together. They're still building their roster for the 2015 season to try to repeat as Super Bowl champions. Bobby, we, uh, we talked to Pete Shepard early today about the re uh, the react question of the day, which is uh, with the, everything that's happened in deflate gate, do you think it's tarnished um, the New England Patriots championship season of 2014? Bobby, I'll have you uh, give your thoughts on this as we wrap up the show. And I voted no, and I stand by that. I don't think this diminishes his legacy or Belichick's legacy or their run to the Super Bowl, their fourth Lombardi trophy in any way whatsoever. This is a league-wide issue. It's the equivalent of jaywalking. It would even... Uh, former head of NFL referees Jim Diopolis said that on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst offense you could possibly commit, it's a 2. So this is a minor deal that got blown way out of proportion. A lot of people don't understand some of the key elements to Deflategate. And there's also a lot of people who hate the Patriots and are simply using this because they can. But does it impact what the Patriots were able to go out and accomplish, no, because I don't care. You know, even if you take steroids, that helps, but you still have to go out and physically hit the ball and hit home runs. You still have to have the hand-eye coordination and the ability to go out and physically do it. So even if the Patriots were deflating footballs and it helped, you still have to win the games, and that only helps one-third of the game. It only helps the offense. doesn't do much for special teams or defense, so... To me, this does not impact all the work and all the success that the Patriots earned this past season. I couldn't agree with you more. I don't think, uh, and of course, being a Patriots fan, I don't think that this uh, you know, tarnishes what the New England Patriots were able to do uh, in the 2014 season. They went from a team, we've talked about this, at 2-2 two and two last year, looking like it was the end of the line for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick to a team that absolutely rolled up on every division leader that they played, save for the Green Bay Packers, and then went into the playoffs and showed the fortitude to come back against the Baltimore Ravens, not once but twice, and then being down 10 points with 10 minutes left to go in the Super Bowl, come back and win the greatest finish to any Super Bowl I can remember. This team, the New England Patriots, proved to me that they were a team of the ages. It was a special team last year. 
They've come back a little bit to the crowd here, especially if Brady is suspended for all four games. They've come back a little bit to the crowd here, but I don't think it diminishes anything. And one thing that I want to say about if Brady is suspended for those first four games, he is only missing one divisional opponent. And that is one game against the division that is against the Buffalo Bills. There's plenty of time for Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, if they start out bad, to right the ship, roll the rest of the AFC East, and get into the playoffs, and then it's anyone's ballgame. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And, you know, I don't want to open up Pandora's box, but for people who are on the other side of this argument and want to say that, yes, you know, the Deflategate incident taints the legacy of the 2014 Patriots or the legacy of Brady and or Belichick, I would say, you know, what don't we know? What about the other NFL teams and what they were doing? Is anyone really naive enough to believe that every other team in the league was operating purely by the book and the Patriots were the one team out there cheating? You know, I have a hard time believing someone is that ignorant. So I would say that this still is more a matter of going out there and physically earning it and putting in the work to be able to be a champion, and that shouldn't be tainted or tarnished. Well, I believe, Bobby, that next week when we're uh, getting ready to talk on this podcast that a lot more things will come to light with the New England Patriots and the NFL on whether or not the deflate gate uh, suspensions and fines uh, and draft picks stand up or whether it takes uh, a back seat and things get rescinded. We will find out, especially with the owners' meetings uh, in San Francisco, of course. Uh, stay tuned to CLNS Radio for all your latest breaking news as it comes. My special thanks to Pete Shepard for joining us tonight and, of course, to Bobby Kavitsky. I am Jeff Kane, and this has been another Patriots Beat. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.